right, friends, good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 today, we'll be looking at verses 12 to 42, so quite a bit of verses for us today. If we had not had a chance to meet, uh, you guys already know my name. It's Kenson Lamb. I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport location, and always grateful to have the opportunity uh, to be with you, and also just encouraged that uh, your pastor, Rafe, and his family are off on vacation today, a well-deserved vacation, so make sure to be praying for them, that God would refresh and, you know, reinvigorate their hearts spiritually during this time. So Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 42, and I know that we just prayed, but, but let me just pray again, and then uh, we'll jump in, okay? I just need it for my own heart here, if I can pray. Father God, we would ask now, as we open your word, that, Father, that we would be humbled, that, God, that we would feel the weight, because, Father, every time your word is open, man, we hear from you. We hear from you. So, God, we would ask that we would not come into this, Lord, with our guard up, but, Father, as we did earlier, with our hands open, for your spirit to work, for your spirit to change, that God, there is no way that we can encounter a holy God and be left the same. So God, would you do that work through your word? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You get the good with the bad, right? That's a phrase that often describes the reality that things aren't always going to be nice and easy. So for example, someone says to you, hey, just so you know that when it comes to this job, you've got to take the good with the bad. You know, what that means is that some parts of the work you're going to love, and there's some parts that you're not going to love but are necessary, like long meetings and paperwork. Or, or another example is this. You know, if you want to eat this piece of cake, you're going to have to take the good with the bad. The good is that it's going to be delicious. The bad is that you're going to have to run that extra mile on the treadmill, all right? The good with the bad. You know, today we're continuing the book of Acts, which records the first 30 years of the early church. And the pattern that we've already seen and that we will continue to see is the blessings and excitements of doing gospel ministry, but how that is also faced with incredible opposition. That in the first three chapters, the church has been growing like crazy, receiving favor from all people. Thousands upon thousands of people are coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Miraculous signs of the Holy Spirit and healings are taking place. And the new church is coming together in unity and love and generosity, meeting all the needs around them. This is so, so good. But in chapter 4, things begin to take a turn. The religious leaders, most notably the Sadducees, threaten the disciples to stop talking about Jesus. Okay, that's a downer. And last week in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, who are part of the Christian community, they lie about their generosity, pretending to give more than they did, and God struck them dead right where, where they stood. So as this gospel movement is underway, we're already starting to see threats outside of the church and also inside of the church. And eventually in Acts chapter 7, this opposition to the gospel gets to a fever pitch and it leads to the murder of Stephen, a key leader of the church. So what we're going to see over and over again in the book of Acts is that anytime the gospel goes forth in power and boldness and lives are being transformed and societal norms are being challenged, it will always be met with opposition and persecution because it's a conflict of two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Christ and a demonic kingdom. The question I have for you this morning is that are you ready for the good with the bad. Are you ready for that, to take the good with the bad? You know, the book of Acts 
as a model of what it means to be the church. It's a story of an extraordinary God taking ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be part of a church that looks like that? If so, are you ready for the good with the bad? You know, D.A. Carson, a professor at Trinity, has said that more people have been more martyred for following Christ in this century than all of the first 1,900 years of church history. And this hostility is growing not just across the world, but also here in the States as we have become a post-Christian society. The opposition can come in the form of intimidation, increased negativity towards anything Christian, insults, and rejection. You know, for example, I know that some of you come from a Roman Catholic background, and we know this is that when you're born into a family, Catholicism is not a choice that you make. You are born into that tradition and faith in your household. So when you made the faith and decision to follow Christ and to move away from going to the Catholic church and to start believing that salvation is not rooted in works but in the grace of God, it brought great tension into your family. Your mother and grandmother became heartbroken your public faith in Christ made you feel like an outsider in your own family. There is a real price to following Jesus. If we are bold with our faith, there will always be a price to pay, whether it be emotional, relational, financial, or even physical. Have you counted the cost? If we want to see our church become more than a holy huddle, but a people of God used by God for the glory of God, storming the gates of hell, we have to be ready to take the good with the bad. So with the time that we have here today, I want to show you how our gospel faithfulness can bless many, but also anger many. Okay, so here are the three points to move us along. First, gospel ministry enriches the humble. Second, gospel ministry enrages the prideful. And then thirdly, gospel ministry energizes the believers. Okay? So first, the gospel enriches the humble. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 here. It says this. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. This is now the crowds. Now things are starting to slow down a bit because Ananias and Sapphira just got struck down. So they're like, ah, uh, I might want to wait a little bit before joining this Christian religion. But people held them still in high esteem. Verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, uh, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, what is the good of gospel ministry? Those who are humble are blessed and saved. Consider who's coming to the apostles right now. It's the sick. It's those who are facing spiritual oppression. It's the desperate of society. And these are the people who experience the power of Jesus Christ. That Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. Well, who are the poor in spirit? 
It's those people who know that all they have is Jesus. It's people who recognize that there are sinners in need of grace. Now, what leads them to this point of desperation as we see here in Acts? It's sickness. It's disease. It's demon possession. That it's through these physical felt needs that they were able to see the powerful work of the Spirit. And let me just say really quickly here that I still believe that God heals in this way. Now, he heals, he might do it through doctors and medicine, or it can be supernatural because God being God and creator of all, he has the power to heal and there is no scriptural reason to doubt that. However, we do need to remember a few things. First, these acts of healings were called miracles. And miracles by definition means that they are outside of the normative, okay? Secondly, when Jesus chooses to heal, is so that we can have a taste of what the coming kingdom will be like. That is through these physical healings, it pointed to a greater picture. First, it pointed to the ultimate healing, the forgiveness of sins, and to have a right relationship with God. And secondly, even if, if, even if God chooses not to heal us in this life, we know that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will be fully healed in the life to come, and death will be no more. And that's what we're going to celebrate next weekend. So we see here the healing of sickness and those afflicted with unclean spirits being freed. And this is the power of the gospel. No demonic power, no evil power, no illness and ailment is a match for Jesus Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the humble who are enriched by the gospel. Let me ask you, are you poor in spirit? Are you poor in spirit? You know, if not, you will miss the blessings of the gospel. We can't come to Jesus with a middle-class spirit where we get to do life on our own power and strength and just have Jesus as a backup plan. You know, in the song, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy, it says this in one of the verses. It says, Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Many of us will not come to Jesus because we are too rich in spirit. We have too high of an estimation of who we are, what we have, and what we can do. Just like how Jesus said in Matthew 19 that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This is not to say that those who are rich can't become Christian. It just means that it's really, 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 really hard to do because there is so much stuff in your life that it keeps you from being desperate. Did you know that right now in America, we are the wealthiest nature, nation in the world? We are not the exceptions here. This is our challenge. We are too rich in spirit. This is why when the early church exploded, notice and remember that it exploded with the marginalized, the sick, the fringes of society because they were more easily able to admit a great need for a savior. And the church majored in compassion, mercy, and service. That as they loved others, it reflected the love of Christ. And verse 14 is the fruit. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And this is the greatest good of faithful gospel ministry. People will come to the Lord. You know, consider what God is doing right now, building his kingdom all across 
the world. In China, in the last 40 years, during a time of oppression and persecution, Christianity has grown from 1 million Christians to 50 million Christians. And almost all of that church growth has been among the poor, the peasants, and the undereducated. In Africa, about 4% were Christians in the 1900, and now it has grown to 40% today. Currently, 20,000 people a day are coming to faith in Christ in Africa. In Indonesia, a primarily Muslim country, there are more Muslims coming, becoming Christians in the last 10 years than in the last 10 centuries. In the last 10 centuries. In Korea, there was no Protestant church in the 1900s. Now Korea is 30% Christian with 4,000 churches in Seoul alone. In Latin America, evangelicals have grown from 300,000 in 1900 to over 80 million people today. This is the good news of gospel ministry. God brings people to saving faith when they are faithful to share. Friends, who can you engage to know the love of Christ? Now, a language that we sometimes use here at Park is that we call this person your one. Who is that one person whom God has placed in your life to, to reach and to bless with the gospel? Could it be your neighbor, a friend, a family worker, a coworker, a barista, someone that you see on a daily basis? And when you spend time with them, I want to encourage you to bless them. And actually, what I mean by that is to practice this blessed acronym that actually helps me to know how to engage those who are not believers in my life. And let me just show you real quickly. It's, it's not rocket science here. But this blessed acronym, with those unbelievers in your life, first, begin with prayer. Ask God for opportunity and boldness. Second, listen. Spend time in conversation with your one and ask good questions. Listen, listen well to their stories. Third, eat. Open your home and dinner table and build that friendship. S, serve. What need can you help them meet to show them that you care in a very practical way? And obviously, we can't miss this. You have to share your story, the final S. Tell your one why you do what you do and the hope that you have. Nothing, nothing major here, but this, this helps me to know kind of how I can continue to engage with those who don't know Jesus in my life. Now, when we do this, we're being faithful, and we're being faithful to gospel ministry. Not everyone is going to say yes, and not everyone's going to be positive towards you, but don't lose heart. The good of gospel ministry is that when we are faithful with the message of Jesus, people will come to know him because our sovereign God can change any heart. And on this day, on Palm Sunday, as people are saying, Hosanna, Lord, save us. That's what it means, Lord, save us. Well, guess what? Our Lord does save. Amen? Amen. That's some good news. Here's the second point. Gospel ministry enrages the prideful, enrages the prideful. Verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Okay, so what we see here again is that the Sadducees are angry and annoyed with the apostles, and they arrest them. And this is the second time that they've told the apostles to stop speaking the name of Jesus. But these apostles won't listen. And it says here that they were filled with jealousy. 
Now, now what is jealousy? Jealousy is the sin that believes that whatever you have, I deserve more than you. And what did the apostles have? They had the favor of the people. The crowds were coming, and the Sadducees could see that they were losing power and influence over the people. That this jealousy made the Sadducees blind to all that God was doing. They didn't care about the miracles. They didn't care about the testimonies. They didn't care about the transformed lives. They were so blinded for jealousy and their, and their, and their, and their hunger for power that instead of asking, what must I do to be saved, they cared more about answering the question, what must I do to stay in power? And this jealousy made them resentful, made them bitter, and eventually murderous. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought the apostles out and said to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them, the apostles, brought to them. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, so everything looks normal. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed around them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned the apostles, saying, We strictly charge you to not, not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now let me stop there. So the apostles were arrested, and the Lord frees them in miraculous ways, and they go back out and they start teaching on the temple courts again. So the Sanhedrin arrest the apostles once again, bring them and have them stand before the council, and they threaten and accuse them by saying that you're teaching all this stuff about Jesus Christ, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, why are you turning the people against us by telling them that we killed Jesus? But here's the thing, it's 100% true, you did kill Jesus. Just a few weeks ago in Matthew 27, Jesus was put on trial, and it was the chief priests and the religious leaders who tell the crowds to free Barabbas and not Jesus. They're the ones leading the crowds to say, crucify him, crucify him. And even when Pilate says to the crowds, what has this man, Jesus, what has he done? He has done nothing wrong. They keep shouting for his death. So what does Pilate do? He washes his hands and says, I'm innocent of this man's blood, and notice how the crowds respond back. Matthew chapter 27, verse 25. The crowd responds back by saying, his blood be on us and on our children. So Barabbas is free and Jesus is crucified. And now a few weeks later, check out the irony, these apostles are standing in the same temple area that Jesus was condemned in, and these Sadducees are acting as if nothing wrong happened. 
The Sadducees are not just people filled with pride. They are also cowards. And we often see those things very closely together. Proud, pride, and cowardice. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33. And when they heard this, they, the council of Sanhedrin, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men, the apostles, outside for a little while. Now, Gamaliel, just real quickly, he's a very respected and esteemed Pharisee, and he's also the mentor of, the Paul, of Paul the apostle before his conversion. Verse 35, and he said to them, men of Israel, Gamaliel talking now, take care of what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Okay, so Gamaliel here, a teacher he understood the sovereignty of God and took these kids to school. He said, look, we've had, we've had other insurrectionists try to stir up a movement, but once their leader died, the movement died with it. So if this is a man-made movement here of Jesus, it will go away. But if it is God's work, there is nothing we can do anyway to stop it. So the Sadducees concede to this logic but before they let the apostles go, they tell them not to speak of Jesus, which they know they won't do. So they rough them up just to let them know how serious their threats are. Now, what do we learn in these verses? The gospel will enrage the proud. You know, the Sadducees are so blinded by their jealousy and pride that they're doing exactly what Gamaliel said would be futile. They are fighting against the very purposes of God. In the same way, when we commit ourselves to being faithful to gospel ministry, we too are going to be fighting against people's pride. That when Jesus started his earthly ministry, the first words he said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And no one, no one loves the word repent. 
Because repent means to admit that you are wrong. It means acknowledging that you are weak. It means confessing that you don't have it all together. And people will hate this message because no one wants to give up control of their lives. We all want to hold on to our pride. That everyone loves to hear that Jesus is Savior. Yes, he can save you. Yes, you can have eternity in heaven. But he is also Lord. You must bend your life to him. No one's going to want that. There are two sides of the same exact coin. And just like how the apostles face bullies, we will face bullies as well when we call people to repent. Now, the question for us is if we're experiencing this kind of opposition in our lives. Are you feeling this in your life? Do you feel this pressure, this push, this opposition? The reality for most of us, and myself included, I put myself here too, is that we don't experience much resistance at all because it is so much easier to choose comfort over risk. Let me show you what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says in John chapter 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Okay? So when you guys look at these verses, why should we expect persecution? It's because we are not of this world. We don't, we, don't, we don't value and prioritize and talk about the same things as the world. But at the same time, it's in these verses, we also understand why some of us don't face any opposition. It's because some of us look way too much like the world. That we look like the world in how we treat our spouse and how we raise our kids and how we handle our money and the things that dominate our time and attention. And because of that, we get to live a pretty easy life. Might it be time to take some more risks for your faith? And if this scares you, take courage and comfort to know that your God is always with you. Now, God may not send angels to free you from prison, but he loves you and you are never on mission alone. That when you go out to do God's work, he will always supply all that you need to accomplish his work through the Holy Spirit for the glory of his name. And here's the third point. The gospel ministry energizes the believers. Okay, last two verses here. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Okay? So what did the apostles do after being intimidated and being knocked around? First, we see here that they come out of it rejoicing. And secondly, they keep talking about Jesus. Being opposed didn't discourage them. It 
energize them. And this is always so true, that whenever we are doing, the, doing ministry that is focused on the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit, it brings life to a believer's heart. This, this is why when Christians go to impoverished countries to spend weeks loving people and sharing their faith, they come back so blessed, feeling that they received more than what, than what they gave to others. This is why when you spend time talking to other people about Jesus Christ, after that conversation, there is just a new energy and spirit that they did. There's an extra pep in your step that your soul feels so lifted up. And this is why when the apostles were dishonored because of their faith and treated unfairly, it felt like a badge of honor because they knew that they were counted worthy to suffer honor for the name of Jesus Christ. You know, let me just give you three reasons why they were so energized here. First is this, that they knew that in their persecution and opposition, they were being obedient to Christ. You know, Paul says in Philippians 1, that suffering for the gospel is part of the Christian calling. He says in Philippians 1, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. You've been granted this. This is your honor to have. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Hell, guess what? That's exactly what the apostles are doing. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What the apostles are experiencing right now is exactly as Jesus promised. And when everyone else will look at these apostles and think that they're crazy, too radical, too impulsive, too reckless with their lives, the apostles knew that they were doing the will of God. Secondly, the apostles were energized because they knew that they already won. They've already won. Look back and see how the apostles defend themselves for their preaching. Verse 29 to 31. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Notice here, the disciples know that Jesus was resurrected, which means that death has been defeated. They also know that Jesus was exalted and he now sits enthroned as king over all creation. And they see here that Jesus is not just leader and savior, but Jesus is their leader and savior. And it's with this eternal confidence in who and what Christ has done and what he is doing, it gave them reason to rejoice that as scary and as dangerous as everything seemed to be, their victory was already guaranteed in Jesus Christ. As Gamaliel said so well, if this is of God, no man can overthrow it. Church, that is our unshakable hope that we have as Christians. God cannot be overthrown. Thus the cause of God cannot be overthrown and the people of God cannot be overthrown. Amen? Amen. And finally, they were energized because it was through their suffering they knew how much Jesus loved them. You know, 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for 
you, for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus has not called his disciples to do something that he has not first done himself. So as the apostles experience their pains and struggles, they are growing in their love and worship of Christ because they are understanding in deeper ways just how much Christ sacrificed to love them. You know, we see this when we become parents. You know, before becoming a parent, for, for example, myself, I didn't think parenting was that hard to do. But now as a parent of three younger boys and a son who is preteen, I now realize just how much my mom loved me by not throwing me out of the house, right? I have to have a great appreciation because now I'm starting to experience the things my parents experienced. In the same way, as the disciples suffered for the gospel, they are now understanding just how difficult and how much Jesus had to give up just to love them. That when Jesus suffered, he didn't fight back. He didn't back down. He stayed on the cross and breathed his last breath. That in the face of greatest opposition and mockery, Jesus took it all because we were worth saving. And now when we suffer for Christ, we do so because he's worth it. This is why it's an honor when we are opposed. It's an honor to be dismissed and seen as foolish for our faith. All of this is an honor because this is how Jesus was treated. And what that means is that when they oppose us in the same way, when they look at us, guess who they are seeing? They are seeing Jesus in our lives. What an honor that is. Church, are you ready to take the good with the bad. You know, let me close with this. In the book of Acts, and for the next 300 years of the early church, Christians in the Roman Empire were systematically imprisoned, plundered, tortured, and killed. Yet we know from historical accounts, and this is fact, that many Christians died praying for the executioners. They died singing as they're thrown to the lions. Very often, Christians were crucified right alongside the highways. And as people were making their way in and out, out of different Roman regions and provinces, they sang as they were dying. You know, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said this in Latin. Semen est sanguis Christinorum, which basically means the more you kill us, the more we grow. This is how Christianity exploded throughout the Roman Empire. It's because the disciples counted the cost. They took the good with the bad. And this can be true for us as the church. That if we want to see the gospel move out in South Loop, Little Italy, in the Loop, at UIC, at Pilsen, Bronzeville, and High Park, it's when we count the cost and gladly take the good with the bad because Jesus is worth it. God gets the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, Lord, first, I pray for courage and boldness. That God, in those areas where our faith is lacking, to trust in the confidence of what your son has done and who he is, and Father, in how we experience and get to sit in the amazing grace of the cross and the amazing power of the resurrection, 
God, would you awaken our hearts to grow in faith so that, Father, we would go out in faith and boldness. They got that we would go out, Lord, and be able to see, Lord, people come to know you, but at the same time, Lord, not shriek back at the opposition that we face. God, our world is needy, Lord, our world is hungry for a Savior. God, help us to go out and to make your son's name known. Lord, help us, Lord, to be able to take the good with the bad. It's in Christ's name we pray.